Let's open your Bibles, if you have them, uh, on Luke chapter 23 is where we're going, New Living Translation. Uh, beginning our reading in verse 39, it's going to also be on the screen. Listen to this passage, uh, having just uh, shared together in communion, it uh, reminds us of how Jesus poured his life out on the cross as a part of the redemption of our living and our eternal destinies. Uh, here's portion of that story here at verse 39. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested. Everybody say the other criminal. Don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? We deserve deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me. Everybody say, Jesus, remember me. When you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me. In paradise. Shout amen. Amen. Please be seated. God do something special today. Do something only you can do. In Jesus name. Amen. Alright here's the big idea for the day. Somebody tell somebody it's not too late. Come on say it's not too late. It's not too late for you to live a life that will outlive you. But. You need to act now. That's the big idea. And let me give you the backstory on this passage that we're reading. 24 hours before uh, this scene that we're uh, reading about in Luke 23, Jesus has been arrested. Uh, he has been lied on and accused of blasphemy, which within his religious tradition would lead to an arrest. So he's arrested for a religious reason. But... Because the Jewish community is a part of the Roman Empire and they wanted to put Jesus to death, uh, the Roman Empire could care less about the charge of blasphemy because it was polytheistic. It wasn't interested in blasphemy. So then somebody remembered that Jesus had indicated that he's the king of the Jews. So they made the argument if he's saying that he's the king of the Jews uh, and Rome has only one king and that is Caesar, so he must be an insurrectionist. He must... He must be uh, preparing to overthrow Caesar. And that charge is what caused the Roman Empire to prepare to crucify, to crucify him. So Jesus was arrested for a religious reason. But technically he was crucified for a political reason. It's important for you to know that because at the intersection of Jesus' life and any life that knows Jesus ought to be an intersection between the social uh, the political, the economic, all of life intersects in Jesus. And Jesus had a pretty radical politics. So that's why next week we're going to talk about radical politics. So make sure you get back here. You've got folks fighting about who to vote for, all that stuff. Bring them here. We're going to have a good time next weekend. All right. So uh, that's the backstory. So he's uh, sentenced to death. The Roman Empire had the worst, uh, figured out that the worst way, the most shameful way 
to crucify its worst criminals was in this notion of crucifixion. And so they would, they, they beat him till beyond recognition. They forced him to take a portion of his cross up on the Galgotha Hill. They put him on the cross. They took these huge stakes and nailed into both of his hands and nailed into his feet. So when they said he was pierced, that's what they're referring to. They held him up uh, between two other criminals. And uh, there he is between these two criminals. He, usually you see the picture he has on the lawn. Thing, but most likely he was completely naked. And so having been brutalized the worst kind of way, full of, fully exposed in the worst kind of shame, there is our Savior hanging there. And one of the guys, he's crucified between two criminals who Matthew 27 tells us that they are insurrectionists themselves, or revolutionaries. And, uh, and one of these guys, because we know he's a revolutionary, when you look at his statement, uh, you see that he's full of cynicism and bitterness and, 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 and ultimately disbelief. And so this guy in verse 39, he looks at Jesus and he says, Ah, so you're the Messiah. And Jesus is hanging there bloody and almost unrecognizable. Ah, you're the disciple, the, the Messiah, huh? The deliverer, huh? Prove it. You hear the bitterness and the cynicism? The verse actually says he scoffed, which means he made fun. He derided, belittled Jesus. Prove it. Save yourself. And while you're at it, save us too. You can hear the laughter around the cross. Now Luke wants you to pay attention to this because Luke is saying uh, to all of us who would, who would listen, he's suggesting, first point is that we ought to develop a discipline of thinking about our lives from the end. Where do you want to end up at? Really, you think about it like this. It's got a big trajectory. Here's the cross here, right? And what Luke is, is suggesting is that we all, this cross represents death. And what Luke is saying, we're all going to die. We're here. This is somebody in here. Looks like this. I'm not sure who it is, but you get the idea. Uh, uh, got hair, so it's not me. Uh, but at the end of the day, we're all going to die, right? And, and Luke is saying, all right, when you think about how you're going to end up at, it's, you know, when you wake up on Monday morning, it's a good discipline. When you wake up on Monday morning, well, I have a seat that I like to sit in. And, and what Luke is suggesting is don't reach for your iPad. Don't reach for your iPhone, but find a... Maybe you get up and take a shower and find a good seat, your prayer seat, your reflection seat. You start off your day there. And one of the places you ought to think about, reflect is, how do I want to end up at? Doesn't matter what age you are, it's a relevant question. You know, when I die, uh, how, who do I want to remember me in? How do I want to be remembered? And whatever your answer is, start trying to live that way starting today. And what Luke wants you to point out is, and wants you to see is this guy, he's full of cynicism, he's full of bitterness, and he's full of, of doubt, unbelief. And so, at the end of the day, his life is full of 
cynicism, doubt and unbelief. He's an insurrectionist. He probably came up on the wrong side of the Roman Empire, the wrong side of power. At some point felt abused. He didn't trust the government, didn't trust people. Come on. And he certainly looked at Jesus and he didn't see anybody different there. And so he didn't trust him. And Luke would ask us to stop and think right now and develop a discipline of stopping and thinking. Ask yourself the question, what's my life full of? Is your life full of cynicism when you think about the government? Is your life full of bitterness when you think about your siblings or your spouse or your, the person you're dating or your kids or your grandkids? What, what, what's your life full of? It's full of sense of doubt and disbelief. Because Luke would argue that whatever your life is full of, pay attention because you and I, we, uh, we leak. Tell the person next to you, did you know you're leaking? Tell him, you're leaking. <laughs> you're leaking. <laughs> you're leaking. Whatever in you, I don't care how you try to mask it, will come out because you leak. And has a way of staining your sense of legacy. People will remember the cynicism, the bitterness, the disbelief. This uh, past week, I had an opportunity to have breakfast with a guy. Because he's a part of this community, he and his family, I'm going to change his name. I'm simply going to call him Paul. Paul and I had uh, breakfast together because we figured out at a GLS conference we had some people in common. So we were, uh, we were we, we, I wanted to get to know him better. I wanted to get to know his story. So uh, we had breakfast together. So I, I said, tell me your story. So Paul began to share a story with me. He said, he said he grew up in a church. And he said the church tradition he grew up in was a kind of tradition that you get there at 10 and you're there till about 6 p.m. on Sunday evening. That's exactly what he said. That's right there, that, that expression. And he said he just hated going to church. And so one day, this is a hilarious story. He said one day he came up with a scheme. He hid his shoes. And so he couldn't find his shoes. And so he essentially made the point to his mom, Mom, I can't go to church. I don't have any shoes. So she bought it the first week. You know, it's like, wow. So he said, wow, that worked. So next week, he hit his shoes again. And his mom now catches on. What's going on? She says, well, listen, the Bible says, come as you are. So you're going to come barefooted today. <laughs> he tells the story how he really, you know, just, this, this, you know, his fond, his, 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 oldest memory of his father, he said, was, was Paul and his brothers and his mom standing outside watching his father leave. He sees the backlights of his father's vehicle driving away. Now his father would come back and forth in his life and he says the only real relationship he had with his father was that his father would discipline him when he needed to be disciplined. And he remembers his father fighting his mom. And and, and oftentimes we have an event, right, that begins to drive cynicism or begins to drive doubt or begins to drive bitterness in our lives, sometimes at an early age. Maybe it's a divorce that occurred or maybe it's a death that occurred that was untimely. And, and it, just, it just eats at you. And, and without doubt, Paul grew up uh, watching his dad fight his mom and, and not being there and his mom going to church every Sunday morning, staying there all day long, praying and praising. And at some point, Paul just was like, what for what? It's not helping me at all. It's not helping us. 
He said he was a virgin until he was 17 years old, but after he went to the army, forget that. He started running through women, and he just, that just defined the next number of years of his life. And he was making, when he got out of the army, he's making tons of money. He's working in the tech world, making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year, running through women, drinking, ended up with his daughter, raising her. She was tons of money, no joy, trying to figure out how to handle this cynicism and bitterness, doubt that was in his life. And one night he was at a bar and he said a friend showed up and the friend said, you ought to go to church. The friend was in the bar. But he said something struck him and he decided that he was going to go to church the next day. You know, just, you know, just maybe. And he went to church. He said he hadn't, the friend hadn't gone to church with him yet. <laughs> Years ago. So it's just, just a reminder how God will sometimes show up in the least expected places. And he will use the least expected people to speak to you. So he said he went to church the next weekend and then the following weekend he went to another church and there, sitting there, reflective, thinking about his end, he started to think about who this Jesus was and something amazing happened to him. Not unlike this guy in the story. So first you've got the first criminal, right? Everybody say first criminal. He's full of cynicism. Now, here's what's interesting. Matthew 27, verse 44 says that at one point, both criminals are marking Jesus. Both criminals are making fun of Jesus, are belittling him, both of them. So here's the question. What happened to one of them so that verse 40 begins like this, where he, 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 he says to the guy, he protests, he rebukes uh, the other guy, and, and in rebuking the other guy, he essentially says, look, man, don't you fear God, seeing that you're sentenced to die also today? He says, he says, we deserve death for the crimes we've committed. Crimes, those are the plural there, crime, tons of stuff we'd have messed up on. But, but this man, he has done, he hasn't done anything wrong. Well, what changed him? I mean, it's not like he got off the cross and went to what we used to call in the Baptist church Sunday school. It's not like he got off the cross and went and took a seminary course. Nobody even quoted scripture to him up on the cross. He man is up on the cross. One moment he's belittling Jesus and the next moment he's defending him. What changed him? I'm sure he had heard some of the stories that a lot of folk had heard. I'm sure he'd heard about how Jesus... Uh, you know, touch leopards, people who other folk wouldn't touch, heal them. I'm sure you heard about how Jesus probably took some, a couple of fish and a few loaves of bread and fed 5,000 plus folk. I'm sure he heard it, but he didn't really believe it. I'm sure you heard about Jesus' teaching, which is captured in Luke uh, 23. Uh, where Jesus, excuse me, Luke 6, where in verses 23 and 4, where, 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 where Jesus says, 
Uh, those of you who are listening to me, here's what I'm teaching you. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. I'm sure he'd heard that Jesus taught this, but like, really? Who's who going to believe that? That's like crazy. So he's there on the cross making fun. But in verse 34, just a few verses above, you figure out what changed him. Because there he is on the cross making fun of Jesus, no question, no doubt. And, 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 and I believe that because, the, 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 you know, the crosses, they're not right by each other. So, so what Jesus does, he has to do it loud enough for everybody to hear. So I actually think Jesus screams this out in the same way later on he's going to scream out, my God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? That, that he actually screams this out and it's actually a prayer. And, and I think this is what gets this guy's attention. Jesus screams out, Father! Forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. Who's the them? Who's the them? The, the them are the, are the folk who beat him all night long to beyond recognition. Who's the them? It's the folk who took the only major garment he had. His mama had made his inner garment that, that, that he would wear inside, and they were they, they, they had cut it up and was gambling over it. Who's the them? The them are the folk around the cross who's making fun of him and saying, if you're the Messiah, come on down. You know, among the them happened to be this guy. And he heard this fellow from the cross cry out, Father, forgive them. And what he really heard was, in that prayer, you heard Jesus say, Father, forgive him. And in that very moment, looking at Jesus, he saw something. You know what he saw? Love. Oh, it wasn't like love. He had... You know, it wasn't like love, you know, that you get when you're running women or guys. This is a little different love. This is, this is an uncommon love. It's, it's, it's not like the love that comes through broken homes. No, no, no. This is a radical different kind of love. He saw it. You know what he heard? Forgiveness. He heard forgiveness from somebody... And he hadn't even asked for it. He didn't really see himself in need of forgiveness. And here is this one praying for forgiveness. And he hadn't even asked for it. You know what he felt? The power of Jesus' grace. You know, I think the other guy also felt it too. I, he saw everything that he heard it, but the other guy just closed his heart. He just said, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to trust him. I'm not going to, no, 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 forget it. But not this one. This is my friend Paul. He said he went to church the second week, 
and the gospel was proclaimed. And for the first time, as he's thinking about his end, he's looking back, he saw Jesus in a way he hadn't seen Jesus before. And he saw this love, this incredible love that says, I know all of the stuff you've messed up, and I know all of the ways you've messed over, but I still love you, and I'm ready to forgive you, and I've got a grace for your life that will, will change your legacy and set your destiny. And for that moment, Paul believed. And it changed his life. I can't, you can't fabricate it. I can't force you to, you know, it it's, uh, comes out of kind of reflection and revelation. All we know is that years later, Paul's living a different life. He's not perfect. He's married, but unlike his father, uh, he's not beating up his wife. He's not cheating on his wife. He's got his one daughter is in college, other two kids, small kids. He's caring for them. His, the couple, the, he and his wife was in uh, the marriage retreat last year, and, and she just talked about what an amazing husband. How do you go from being a drunk and a womanizer to being an amazing husband and a remarkable father? What happened to the cynicism? How do we deal with the bitterness? What, what is the antidote? What is the answer? Love of Jesus. The forgiveness of Jesus that has a way of penetrating goes beyond the flesh. It goes beyond the scales of my heart. It has a way of going to the deepest parts of my soul and saying you are forgiven and when he forgives me like that it changes me that make me perfect but it makes me a whole lot better this is why the guy on the cross he looks he sees Jesus and you know his friend has said hey you're the Messiah, huh? Prove it. And his friend, after hearing Jesus say, Father, forgive them, his friend realizes, wait a moment, he's already proved it. And so he says, he says, he says, he says, he cries out. Well, watch it, there's a shift in attention. Everybody say, change your focus. Say, change your focus. Change your focus. He changes his focus, right? One moment he was focused on his friend. Now he, he changes his focus to Jesus. In other words, he's not really concerned about what people around him are thinking. He's, not, he's only concerned about what one person in all eternity is thinking, and that's Jesus. That's his focus. He shifts his focus. He's no longer thinking about his past, right? And all of the things. He's thinking about his future. But wait a moment. You don't have much of a future. You're on your dying cross. But he sees something in Jesus and he, and he recognizes, you know what? I don't think death is going to have the last word with Jesus. I think Jesus is going to conquer death. I think he's going to go into a place that he's going to be king of kings and lords of lords. And so he says, hey, Jesus, remember me when you come into the fullness of your power when death tries but loses remember me and at that moment he says you know what I've been living my whole life in my own story but Jesus I, if it's not too late I don't actually deserve it I haven't earned it but would you consider would you make me a part of your story 
Jesus says, today, if I say today, oh. a few years later, Paul has a brother, Marcus, and um, Marcus is in his early 40s, very much the way Paul used to be, chasing women, drinking, drugging. Marcus starts getting sick. You know, don't take your health for granted. Doesn't matter how young you are. Just like that. Marcus started getting sick. He ended up with diabetes. And then uh, he started getting blood clots. And he ended up in the hospital. On one day, four people, including Paul, talked to Mark, Marcus and said, you know, you ought to go to church. Now, here's what they meant. They weren't just saying, you just ought to go to church. Here's, let me translate. They were saying, you ought to go to a place where you can get to figure out who Jesus is. Marcus thought about it. So a little later on, he came back to Paul, his brother, and he said to Paul, I want to go to church. So Paul said, oh, okay, good. Let's go. He figured Marcus wanted to go back. He hadn't been to church in like 30 years. Uh, he's been 42. So like, you know, since 18, get, as soon as he can get away from church, so whatever, it's 18, 42, whatever it is, he hadn't been to church ever. So he figured, well, let's go back. You want to go back to the church we grew up in, you know, where the pastor's there. You know the pastor. Marcus says, no, 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 no. I don't want to go there. Marcus says, I want to go to your church. What do you mean? Marcus says, I've been watching you. We used to do all kinds of stuff together. You don't do that no more. You're different. Whatever you're drinking, I want it. <laughs> whatever they're feeding you, the church, whatever you're learning, whatever context that you're having, that encounter that has radically changed your life that I'm... I want that. Can I go to your church? And so Paul brought Marcus, and I happened to be preaching a series, and the series is entitled How to Get Through What You're Going Through. And, 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 and in that series, Marcus heard something about the love of God and the power of God and the grace of God that's expressed in Jesus, and he, he had an insight. And here was the insight. It was one of the things that knowing Jesus does not mean that you won't, uh, that, 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 that your faith will keep you out of trouble. Doesn't mean that. Knowing Jesus means that he will keep you as you go through trouble. He heard that. That's right. That's what he heard that. Knowing Jesus means that you know that, that it doesn't always mean that death won't come. You know, at the end of the day, we all have the same sentence. That's what the guy was saying, right? And, 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 and for some, it's sooner. For others, it's later. It, it, it doesn't always stave off death. But knowing Jesus means that death will not have the last word. It doesn't mean that you won't get sick. It just means that sickness will not have the last word. And he heard that. I'm talking about Marcus. His heart came open. And there was something about that love and that forgiveness and that power that came with saying yes. He said yes. And something started to happen in Marcus. You know, he went home and a few days later, his girlfriend, his living girlfriend, heard Marcus whisper, bah, 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 bah. Marcus had a reputation for cheating, you know, so... She just knew she was going to bust in on him. 
she busts through the door and through her shock, she found him praying. Later on, she found him really devouring scriptures. He just started the book of Gospel of John. He just started reading. And, and not because he was trying to become religious. Forget that. He wasn't trying to be. That was, he just, that was just hunger in him. I want to know more and more about this Jesus who says that despite my history and despite who I am, despite the fact that I'm on my own cross, that he loves me and that he will forgive me and that he'll make me a part of his story and a part of his legacy. I want to know more about that. And he's just devouring it up. And every week that he could make it to church, he was coming back to church. And then finally, finally, he ends up in the hospital. He's got to do a treatment, right? And so the day before the treatment, he invites his, uh, his, uh, his girlfriend. He said, the girlfriend comes to see him and he says, Baby, I've already set it up. I want to marry you today. Somebody say, why? Ask why. It's a great question. Why? Why? Uh, some of you know. Then on Fridays, I like to hang out at um, Tin Pot, which is an ice cream place. It's my favorite place. And so a couple weeks ago, I was in Tin Pot in Palo Alto. And this elderly lady came in, silver hair, probably the mid-70s. And, you, you know, kind of like your grandmother who who's figured out that she's lived long enough for the, for the whole world to, to do what she says. <laughs> she held up the entire operation, started asking intricate questions about various flavors. and She wouldn't even taste it. She was just examining it, questioning. And then finally she says, you know, I want a pint. I want a pint of this. Can you just dip me up a pint? She said, no, the lady behind us said, no, I can't do that. There's a refrigerator over there. We sell the body pints. And so she, so she goes and she gets not just one pint, she gets two pints. She comes back and she says, but I still want some ice cream here. And, and so they go back and forth and back and forth. And, and I'm just looking at this and watching this. It's pretty hilarious for me. And I, I um, and so I, I, I get the lady behind the counter's attention. I say, you know, I'm going to pay for this. And the elder lady, she doesn't know what's happening. And so this lady knows me well. I'm there Friday. So she said, good. <laughs> so they got it all together. And when they, she finally put it together, knew what she wanted, the lady came. She rung it up. And I had my, my Apple pay. So I just, boom, hit the phone. Pop. It's done. <laughs> and, and, and the elder lady, she didn't see it. So she's coming down. And she says, well, how much is it? And she's opening up her wallet. And I say to the elderly lady, oh, you don't need, it's already been paid for. She said, what? I said, no, it's been paid for. Who? <laughs> Who? And the lady behind said, so he did it, he did Why? She says, why? Why would you do that? I said, well, you know, just, just, a, just a blessing. Just consider God's blessing. Why? It's <laughs> like, I said, no, this, it's all good. It's all good. She, she said, she said, she said, do you come in here regularly? <laughs> and, and I said, yeah. And the lady said, see, see, he's here about uh, usually every Friday. Every Friday? Yes. She said, you know what? I'm going to pay. I'm, I'm going to buy you some ice cream the next time you come. I said, no, 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 no. She says, because she didn't actually hear me. She's having like, hearing problems. She said, when does he come in here? She said, Friday. <laughs> 
listen. I, what, I, what did I spend? Eight bucks. Eight bucks. But there's something about how God shapes us. And when we experience extraordinary generosity, we want to respond. We, we want to, if we're reasonably healthy, we want to respond. For eight bucks? If she wanted to respond like that, what can I do for you? For eight bucks? How much more should we want to respond for a Savior who poured out his life on Calvary's cross? Who says, I know all there is to know about your life. And you've been living in your own story. But I've been waiting to pull you into my story to make you a part of my legacy. Marcus, he married the girl. Not because of trying to be super morally correct, but because by then, Jesus had done so much for him. He just wanted to give Jesus his best. That's why he did it. I, I, just, I just want to give him my best. I just want to kind of reflect his heart. Will you marry me? And they got married later that day. The next day he had a procedure and he died in the middle of the procedure. From the time that he walked into the church to the time of his death was six weeks. You see, it's not too late to live a life that will outlive you. But you need to act now. And out of all of the misery he had caused, what people remember the most, what has defined his legacy is the last six weeks. The guy on the cross said, Jesus, remember me. When you come in your kingdom. It's okay for you to want to be remembered when you die by your kids. I certainly do. It's okay for you to want to be remembered by history. And some people who are wealthy may build buildings. And others who are great athletes may set records. And others who are singers may, you know, they may write a, a, a Grammy hit. But at the end of the day. All these things pass away. But Jesus says, me and my word, we will stand forever. I want to be remembered most by Jesus. I want to be a part of his legacy. But watch this. Here's his answer. What's Jesus? Jesus says, watch this. He says, remember me, God says, when you get in your kingdom. Jesus says, he's dying. <laughs> and since he's saying, I'm dying for you. You just didn't know it. And he says, 
he says, it's probably a highlight for Jesus on a really dark cross. And he says, he says, he says, he says, he says, I assure you. I, I, I assure you. In other words, Jesus says, I give you my word. That's what he's saying. That's what he says. And he says, forget the past. Right now, I've been waiting for this moment. And I give you my word. I'll make you a part of my story. I'll make you a part of my legacy. Watch this. Today, you will be with me in what? Paradise. Only Jesus can turn death into paradise. I mean, and by the way, what is paradise anyway? What in the world? What is paradise anyway? You know what paradise is? Paradise is the place where everything is all right. Paradise is the place where Jesus is.